Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. All right. Hey, good to have everybody here today. How's everybody doing this morning? All right, ready for the Word of God? Take your Bibles out and turn to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, as we look together at God's Word this morning. We are in the book of Luke. We've been in there since the, really before Christmas time, and we looked at, first of all, all the miracles in the book of Luke, the stories that, uh, that just uh, the power and might of the Lord Jesus Christ, calming the storm, raising the dead, healing the sick, forgiving sin, incredible as we've been studying the life of Jesus Christ. We looked at then his teachings for these last five weeks, the parables, stories that change our lives. And we've been challenged by every single one of those parables about what the kingdom of God means and what it costs and uh, what it's all about. We are going to move into the last segment of the life of Christ, the passion of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about the, the final days before his crucifixion on the cross and then going to lead right up to the resurrection Sunday Easter Sunday morning in a few weeks. So we're excited about this section. And, and the amazing thing about this is Christ, even though the cross was before him, he always kept moving forward. He didn't stop. He had a mission. He had a job to do to save you and I. And nothing would stop him from getting to Calvary and going to the cross. And so how do we, as his followers, as his people, keep moving forward even in spite of all the obstacles and challenges that may come our way? So we're going to look at Luke 22 and verse 39. Let's stand together together for the reading of God's word today. Luke 22 and verse 39. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him on reaching the place. He said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them and knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he arose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Let us pray. Father, we are so thankful that you made your way into that garden on that fateful night. We are so thankful that you made the decision there to die for us, to take our place on Calvary where we should have all been crucified. We thank you, God, that you loved us so much that you endured the cross, you endured the garden, you endured all those before you that every sin we committed might be taken away, that we might have everlasting life. And we're thankful for your sweet, sweet presence this morning and come and minister through your word. Your word is truth. We ask all this in your holy, mighty name. Amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Teenager asked his father one night to, when he came in and said, Dad, can you extend the curfew? Can you just uh, let me stay out later at night? And his dad came back with, a, I think, a very astute statement. He said, Son, nothing good happens after midnight. Son, nothing good happens after midnight. And it's hard to argue with uh, the father's logic on that occasion. Now, certainly good 
people can accomplish good things after midnight, but by and large, their traditional domain of evil is after dark. It's in the dark. It's in the nighttime. It's in the it's in the uh, the, the the hours at night. Idleness finds trouble in those times. Bad intentions become bold, and all this occurs after midnight. We are going to go to a, the darkest hour, the darkest time in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is when He says, "Evil reigns. Evil rules." In the Word of God, Jesus had left the city of of uh, Jerusalem. He had finished eating the Passover meal with his disciples, and he takes this journey to the Mount of Olives. He crosses the Kidron Valley. They go on up to the Mount of Olives. Now, Luke does not say it was the Garden of Gethsemane. We learn that actually from Matthew and Mark's Gospels. But he goes to this private prayer retreat where he would get away, where he would seek the Lord. He had been there many, many times before, and he goes up there on this occasion. And there he would find Satan. He would be slithering among the trees, and the enemy would be there to do battle with Jesus Christ, and there was this warfare that would take place on the Garden of Gethsemane. While he did that, the disciples were falling asleep. No doubt this is the longest, darkest night in the life of Jesus Christ. There are times in our lives when life throws us obstacles, Life throws us challenges, things that we're not ready for. They come out of nowhere. They hit us. They push us back. And we all face those tough times in our own lives, those insurmountable odds. And so the question is, how do we respond when we face our own Gethsemanes, our own challenges, times that will come our way? We pray. We need God to come through when we cry out and say, God, help me. I need a miracle now. My life's a mess. Things are going wrong, and I'm facing this problem or that problem or this challenge and that challenge. And sometimes what happens is God says no. And when God says no, we don't understand it. We we wrestle with this. We think, God, if you're a good God and you're a loving God, why are you allowing me to go through this situation that I'm in now? Why am I going through this trial that I'm in now? And we don't understand the voice of God. And, And sometimes it's not always an audible voice. It just says no. But sometimes it's the silence of God. And we don't hear anything. And we take from that that nothing's going to happen and nothing's going to transpire or take place. And we begin to say, God, did you even hear me when I prayed? We say, God, do you really care about what's going on? And so the question for us today is, how do we keep moving forward when God's answer comes back no? Because that's exactly what happens in the garden. God said no to his only son. How do we keep moving forward in those dark times, in the darkest of nights? And we see that in the life of Jesus Christ. By instinct, when we're all alone and by ourselves, we want someone around us and we want some help and comfort. And if you're in a hospital room and you're laid up, you hopefully somebody's going to come by and see you and visit you and spend some time with you in those times of sickness and illness. If you're in a nursing home and you're facing death, you're down in, in, your, in a house somewhere, you want family around you, you want friends around you in those last hours of your life, you want some kind of companionship or some kind of people around you to help you. And so Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, and they go further on into the Garden of Gethsemane. But instead of being with him and there, surrounding him in his hour of trial, Jesus is all by himself because... Sleep overcomes them, and 
And they keep falling asleep, and he's by himself, and he's all alone in this dark hour of his trial. Jesus is on the verge of experiencing the most painful hours of his life. And he says, Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Now the cup here is a metaphor for the suffering that Jesus Christ was about to go through. When you think about his suffering and what is going to happen in the next uh, 24 hours of his life, when you think about what is about to transpire, the scourging, they would take him, they would lay his back open and, and with a cat of nine tails and it would literally rip his flesh open and you can imagine the pain and the agony. They would take a crown of thorns and they would place it upon his brow and it would crush his forehead and the blood would flow down and they would mock him and his, his own follower, one of his own followers would betray him. And all that physical suffering he was about to undergo. Of every single one of us, And he would feel that separation and alienation from God himself as he would hang on that cross. Isaiah 53, 6 says, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so he's going to carry the burden upon himself of the sins of the entire world. All the sins of Adolf Hitler are going to be placed upon his back. All the sin of Osama bin Laden is going to be laid upon his back. The sin of Larry Burbacher is going to be laid upon his back. The sin of you and I is going to be laid upon his back. And he's going to carry that for us. And that's the weight that he was feeling as he is in Gethsemane on that night, praying and seeking God and looking for an answer. And he cries out, God, if there's any other way that you can pay for the redemption of man. If there's any other way that I don't have to die and carry the sins and be separated from you, if there is any other way, he had to choose between obedience and self-preservation. I think one of the strongest instincts in every single one of us is that desire to live and, and, and preserve ourselves. And so he has to choose obedience to the will of his heavenly Father and self-preservation. And what choice is he going to make if there had been any other way to save mankind? And he cries out, Father, if it be possible, if there's any other way, any other solution, let this cup pass from me. You can imagine that up till this time, every prayer that Jesus prayed had always been answered with yes. He would cry out, calm the storm. Bam, storms would get quiet. He would, he would go to a funeral procession and, and say he would raise up the dead to life and pray and they would come to life again. He would pray for the sick who needed healing in their body, and and healing would come. And and every other time he moves and he acts and he operates and he operates upon the earth, every prayer is always answered with yes, but this time it's different. He's at a crossroads. He wants God to find another way, but he would have to go through the suffering and the death and the agony. He cannot save himself and others at the same time. Can't be done. Matthew describes the agony of the garden, and he says he prayed for three hours. 
and he's deeply grieved to the point of death, the word of God says. Mark says it was a fearful astonishment which caused him to literally tremble. And Mark describes him as at times getting up and walking around and trembling, and he would just slump over and fall and begin to cry out to God again, and then he would arise and walk around some more, and he fell several different times in Mark's account in the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane is a lonely place. It was ground zero for God's plan to save mankind from their sins. Everything hinged on what Jesus Christ would do that night. Sooner or later, every one of us are going to have our own Gethsemanes in our life. You will experience in your time those dark nights of the soul. You will experience those times when it seems like it's more than you can bear. It may be in a hospital room. It may be in a courtroom. For you, it may be a funeral home. It's that phone that rings that we've been dreading to hear, dreading to get. It's that time of loneliness. It's the time when you feel betrayed by a friend or by somebody else. It's those long nights when you pace the floor with your baby in your arms and you cry out to God and the silence is deafening and you just keep going and going. They're going to face your own Gethsemanes. And so the question for us is, what do we do in our own life when God says no? Jesus says, if there's any other way, take the cup from me. And God says, no. How do we keep moving forward in our faith and our trust of God when God says no? I want to give you two things today. And uh, I want you to get these this morning. Number one, keep on praying. Keep on praying. When God says no, we don't stop. Every major decision in every decisive battle was a time of prayer for Jesus. He prayed before he chose disciples all night long. He prays in the garden for at least three hours that we know about, and he cries out in the garden of Gethsemane. He prays and he cries out. Every major decision, every battle, all spiritual warfare, listen to me, church, is one in the place of prayer. Keep on praying. Don't ever stop. He continues to pray. Even when God is silent, he would keep on praying. Even when he didn't hear a response, he kept on praying. Verse 44 says later in, in the same passage that, that he, would, he prayed even more fervently, but still he would submit to the will of his heavenly Father. The Father's will is what he was all, always prayed for, and, and uh, even when the human side wanting something else, he says, Father, not my will be done, but... Thy will be done. And he keeps on praying. Prayer is our connection with God. Prayer is what builds that relationship. Prayer is what builds that trust. Prayer is that what keeps us hanging on and gets us through those dark nights of the soul. I want to tell you, when you experience your own Gethsemane, pray and pray and pray some more and don't stop praying. Turn to Philippians chapter 4. He says there, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Keep on praying in your Gethsemanes. Keep on praying and do not stop. 
And if we keep on praying, we'll keep moving forward. When you encounter resistance from the enemy, keep praying. When the dark nights come, keep praying. Even when you don't know how to pray, the Bible says we have the Holy Spirit in us who will pray through us according to the will of our Heavenly Father. You are never, ever alone. He is with you. He is in you. So I want to tell you, keep on praying. Look at verse number 40 again very quickly. He says, pray that you will not fall into temptation. Now listen to me. Satan is trying to take out Jesus Christ and all the disciples. He is a, they are under attack. He already succeeded with Judas. The Bible said he'd already put into the heart of Judas what he would do, and he would go and betray the Lord Jesus Christ. He will succeed in the courtyard with Peter for a period of time when in that courtyard Peter would deny the Lord Jesus Christ on three occasions. But Satan never succeeded with Jesus Christ. Only prayer and the word will overcome in those times of temptation. Two incredible times of temptation in the life of Jesus Christ. Of course, there are many more throughout his lifetime. But the one is when he is on the Mount of Temptation. And what happens three times? The enemy comes to him. And every time he says, it is written. It is written. And he overcame the enemy by the word of God. And he declared the word and he quoted the word. The other time and probably his most intense temptation was right here in the Garden of Gethsemane. And how does he overcome? He prayed and he prayed and he prayed more fervently and he prayed earnestly and he kept on praying. And that is what got him through. And when everybody else is falling around him like soldiers shot on a battlefield, Jesus Christ will come walking out of that, out of that garden triumphant. Prayer. Shortly after Jesus returns from prayer, the soldiers arrive to arrest him. And in that time, he is able to courageously accept God's will. And when his closest friends are all scattering and dispersing and they will abandon him, Jesus is able to courageously accept the Father's perfect will. Jesus had prayed his way through the moment of temptation and the moments of wanting to do his own will rather than the Father's will. If we're going to remain strong in our times of testing, in our times of trials, if we're going to line our will up with our Heavenly Father's will, I will tell you, keep on praying. Don't stop praying. The second thing that he did is he kept trusting. Look at verses 41 again. Let's pick it up there. And he withdrew about a stone's throw away beyond them, and he knelt down and prayed, Father, you are willing to take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. Notice the word father. Father. Father, if you're willing. You know, even in the Garden of Gethsemane, he doesn't question his relationship with his heavenly father. Father, if it be your will. Father. Knowing that God is our Father, we have a good, good Father and a good Dad, and so I trust in the wisdom and the discipline and the will of my Heavenly Father. Even though I may not understand, I know that He's a good Father, He's a good God, and I can still trust in Him even in the hour of trial. 
even in that time of darkness. Trust the plan that God has for you. I will tell you those Gethsemane moments and those Gethsemane times in our own life make it difficult to trust the Father's plan. But if we believe that God is good and God is always good and his nature never ever changes, it gives me hope. And if I know that God is good, then I can hang on to Romans 8, 28. God works all things. It didn't say some things, a few things, one thing here or there. But God works all things together for our good. Jesus could pray for God's will to be done because he trusted God's will and that his plan for him was good. You know, God didn't take the cup away. He's in the garden crying out, Father, if it's possible, take this cup away from me. And God answered no, and he never removed the cup of suffering. But he did give him strength to make it through. He did give him boldness and courage. He needed to drink the cup that God, his Father, had prepared for him. He had to go to the cross, but he went with heavenly presence and in heavenly strength and in heavenly nourishment. He made his way to Calvary. It's interesting here he talks about an angels coming and ministering to him in this hour of his Gethsemane. Luke talks a lot about the angels. Remember all the way back at the Christmas story, the angel appears to Mary. The angel appears to Joseph. The angels appear to the shepherds in the heavenly realms. And so now you come all the way to the end of the life of Jesus Christ, and the angels come, and they appear to him. And even though he is going to have to go through the cross, they are right there beside him, comforting him every single step of the way. So God provides that supernatural strength he would need in his hour of trial. Jesus' story tells me that when God doesn't answer how we want him to, we have still got to trust in the Lord. I keep on trusting, even though that's not the answer I may have wanted, even though there's not an immediate relief that's going to come, I am still going to trust in God because he's my father. And Father ultimately knows what's best for me. God's bigger plan and purpose will keep me moving forward. Jesus is with you in your time of pain. He is with you in times of darkness. He is with you in your doubts. And I tell you, he is with you because he already first went through Gethsemane. And so if he experienced it, he's in all points tested like we are, yet without sin. He knows how we feel. He understands our infirmities. He understands our pain because he went through it himself. Everything. He could not have won the victory over sin on the cross. He could not have won victory over death in the resurrection had he first not won the battle in Gethsemane. Without Gethsemane, there would be no cross. Without Gethsemane, there would be no empty tomb. It was there that the battle was won. And he won it through prayer, and he won it through trust. When he chose to go through hell for us, he did that so that we might go to heaven with him. Everyone at some time will have their own Gethsemane. You're going to experience it. If you haven't, hold on, it's coming. There will be a time that you'll feel betrayed, and a friend's going to turn his back on you and put his knife right in the center of your back. There's going to be a lonely time when you feel like you're all alone and no one's making that journey with you. 
But in Gethsemane, we discover God's faithfulness. And when others fail us, Jesus is always with us. He knows and he feels and he understands because he's been there. For Jesus, the hour of darkness had come. The power of darkness had seemed to be in control, but only because this was part of the Father's plan. It was all a part of his purpose for us. Nothing is done in our lives outside the will of our Heavenly Father. The unjust trial that would follow the conviction of the Lord Jesus Christ, it all occurs because it's a part of the Father's plan. It is a part of his Heavenly Father's will. And when it seems like maybe on the outside Satan was winning and Jesus Christ is going down, that's all a part of God's great master plan to save you and to save us. And, it's, and so we've got to learn to trust him even when we don't understand. For you who might be going through a Gethsemane moment right now, I want to challenge you, keep on praying. Don't stop praying and pray even more fervently. And when we pray, we pray like he taught us to pray. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, I may not understand everything, but God, I'll pray. Our Father, our Father, our good Father, I trust in you. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And ultimately, we have got to let our prayers line up with the will of our Heavenly Father, and that's where the trust comes in. And so I will keep on trusting, and I will not give up. I will keep on trusting that God is with me even though I don't see him, and even though I may not hear his voice clearly, I will keep on trusting. And when we do that, he'll give you the strength to keep moving forward. Jesus made a decision for you in Gethsemane. He made a decision for all of us when he was in the garden that night. And now he asked us to make a decision for him. What are we going to do with Jesus Christ? Am I going to respond to his grace and receive him and accept him into my life? Am I going to answer the call to come after me, all you who are laboring and heavy laden, I will give you rest? Am I going to answer that call and follow the Lord Jesus Christ? Am am I going to lay down my own rights and my own life and say, God, I give everything to you. You be my life. You be my strength. You be my everything. Or am I going to reject it and turn away? If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. Ask him to come into your heart. Ask him to come in your life. Ask him to be your Lord and your Savior today, and he will come in. He died to take your sins upon himself. If you'll say, God, I need you. God, forgive me. God, cleanse me. The Lord Jesus Christ will come in, and he'll give you life. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes as we prepare to take communion together. This morning, Father, you are so good. We love you so very much. I'm so thankful that you endured that dark night of the soul that we might have life and light in us. I thank you, God, that you're a good God. Even when I don't understand, even when I can't see clearly what's going on around me, I can still trust that you're my Father and you're good and you'll keep me in the center of your plan and you'll give me the strength to make it through. Thank you, Jesus. I pray, God, if there are those here today who may not know you as Lord and Savior, that in this service right now they'll invite you to come into their life and make that decision to follow you. 
Thank you, Jesus, for your presence today. Thanks for listening to this weekly podcast. Check out faithishere.org for podcasts and videos of our previous messages.